crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. Hello. And welcome to this week's episode of, of Crime in me. <laughs> We're your hosts. Man, and Ange. Ange. Oh. oh, I didn't know how we were splitting it up this time. It's very confusing. I could tell by the look in your eyes how confused you were. Uh, I would like to make a correction from last week when I said um, I support the opera and I vote. It's actually I'm pro-opera and I vote. Oh. So I just wanted to clear that Good, up. Good, because before... I do not support the opera. No. <laughs> Yeah, before anyone, all you millions out there listening, I just feel like there are like your so many bunch. corrections to make like all the time. So overarching, basically, basically, don't take accident. anything that we say literally, and we already say that, but really don't. Just don't do your own research. This is like a, a fun a lesson in doing your own it's research. Basically, because... like a brother and sister telling each other things that we think are facts that might they sound good they, in our heads i mean well we do get the information from other people so it's we really also, their fault we also get information from inside our heads that who knows where the fuck it's coming from <laughs> and it sounds good in your head until you say it out loud and then you're like i don't know if i just made that up or if it's real so yes uh long story short which it never is our stories are very long <laughs> and do your own research yeah don't but like take what don't we say. do your we're not like do homework i'm not like pushing you to do homework but if no, you're but like if you're gonna try you know. and share the information that you hear from our podcast you should probably look into it first <laughs> <laughs> well i'm pretty confident but i always am it doesn't really mean anything mm. okay so once again i used one article killing it nice so it's this guy's fault if my information is wrong okay (laughs) i got it from an article on wired.com by a uh, a journalist named joshua davis once again very thorough good very thorough way to go um, joshua joshua actually interviewed the main dude involved in this oh. story so straight from the horse's mouth is that what you say from a horse's mouth yes. there's a lot of horse mouth things there happening. are a lot of horse mouth things gift horse mouth i said that to zachary the other day and he was like what and i was like you've never heard well he's obviously that? not wealthy enough to give gift Get, have horses, gift horses. <laughs> clearly <laughs> Yeah, I would never go near a horse's mouth, but I'm afraid of horses. So, <laughs> yeah, that's not like, really saying much. you go around horses? <laughs> never, because I'm terrified of them. <laughs> They're just like big dogs. Who gets spooked? You can ride. Who gets spooked dogs and get kick spooked. you in the face? Well, yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. Just wear like a motorcycle helmet around. That's them. not going to protect you from that hoof. Coming at you? <laughs> no. There's horsepower behind that hook. Oh, horsepower, mm-hmm. horse mouth, a lot of horse references. A lot of horse stuff going on. I guess horses were a thing back in they the old days. They still are day. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, but now horses are more like, look at a horse instead of like, that horse does all the work. I guess unless you're like an actual 
farmer using horses and stuff. But they don't usually... You, now they've got, like, tractors and stuff, but I don't know. Whatever. Horsing now is, like, an expensive... Horsing around. Yeah. It's an expensive uh, hobby. Uh, sport. Sp- horse sports. Yeah. Well... My story has nothing to do with horse sports. I'm glad we went down that whole at all. <laughs> horse trail. <laughs> so now I'm getting a little horse and I will start. Okay. Ready? Yes. All right. February 17th, 2003 in Antwerp, Belgium. Oh, lovely city. Lovely. Did you know that Antwerp is basically the diamond capital I did. Capital of I did, and I only knew that because I've been there, and they're <gasps> and all about their were, diamonds. Because Zachary took you, and he was like, pick any diamond yeah. you want. He was like, cost is not And you a took thing. a horse-drawn carriage to the Yes, and diamond. then I got a diamond the size of a horse's <laughs> mouth. And then I looked the horse in the mouth, yeah. and the diamond was sitting in its because, mouth. Because, oh, oh, because horses like carrots, and diamonds have carrots. Oh, horse. Horse sense. okay they also have the best food Mm. yes best falafel in the world and best pastries in the world oh i wasn't a fan of the fries but the rest of it was delicious well we're not going to talk about any of that damn (laughs) okay so antwerp two men patrick pays and agim de de break Bruker, Bruker, sorry guys, uh, <laughs> who are two of the world's only specialized diamond police. Uh-huh. Oh, yep, yep. Okay. There's a whole like a well, there ha- yeah, there would have to okay. be. So they arrive to work at the Diamond Center in Antwerp's Diamond District. Yes. To discover that their supposedly safest vault in the world. Had been burglarized. It's just like store after store after store of diamonds. Yeah, yep. It's insane. Yep. Um, also, let's be real. Diamonds are overrated. Yeah. I don't really. I don't it's get not. It. It's not even real. It's uh, the give whole me an emerald any it, day. It's the diamond, blood diamonds, mm-hmm. and the De Beers company that are fucking everyone over, so yeah. they can make money on things that aren't really worth that much, but they make them worth it by only allowing a certain amount to go out into the world at a time. Yeah, I'm not super into it's diamonds. Fake. Nobody buy diamonds. So, yeah, okay. I want like a colorful rock. <laughs> Add some color to that rock. So in this vault, there was a a foot-thick door that was okay. left ajar. And these two wa- step in, mm-hmm. and uh, about uh, 100 of the 189 safe deposit boxes had been broken open and were on the floor. Oh. Oh, shit. Uh-oh. In uh, this diamond vault? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, 80% of the world's rough cut diamonds come in and out of this area. Crazy. Which has constant 24 hour police surveillance and is monitored by 63 video cameras at all times. Who had the the balls to break into Mm. that? And the specialized diamond police as well. Was it an inside job? Was it? It had to be, right? We'll find out. 24 7 policing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the two men that are in there, the the diamond police, yeah, 
they call up the alarm company to see like what the fuck and the alarm company so they call up and they're like Give me the status First on the. First of all, I love every time you say I that answer they call my hand phone. You okay, yes. Hand phone every I'm a visual person. I use my hand phone. I'm making a call to the diamond police. <laughs> like glanced over and your little pinky was, I'm on I was the like, phone. is he doing a hand phone? And then you like went full hand phone. I'm on the phone, right? Okay. Yeah, you tell them. <laughs> okay, so it's like ring, 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 yeah. ring, and they're like alarm company, and they're like, hey, can you give us the status on this vault? And the alarm company's like, yep, looks like the alarm is fully functional and the vault is secure. Oh. And the guys are like, uh, how is that possible when the door is wide open and we're standing in the vault? Yeah. But none of the alarms were triggered. Uh-oh. Um, and, and they're like, and also there's all these safe deposit box strewn about on the floor and there was like... Um, the boxes with like little velvet bags spilling out and cash everywhere Whoa. and just like a pile. And um, one of the guys even stepped, accidentally stepped on a diamond encrusted bracelet. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> well, he had shoes on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I thought they were bare. <laughs> they're not the criminals sneaking around. <laughs> so they realized they were up against a rare breed of criminal. I mean, I guess the thing about a diamond is it's so hard, like, chances of it breaking are pretty slim. Yeah, they're literally so, diamond bit drills. Right, right. <laughs> so I could see, like, why, you know, if you're going to get, I don't know, like, a ruby, maybe it'd crack easier mm, than a diamond lasts for forever. Life. That's right. <laughs> so, meet the man behind the heist. Let's meet him. His name is Leonardo Notar- Notarbartolo. Oh, Italian. Very. Clearly. In 2000, Leonardo rented a small office in the Diamond Center, which was one of the largest buildings in the area. He presented himself as a gem importer from Turin, Italy. Mm. Turin? Mm-hmm. Turin. He scheduled... Turin. Turin, Italy. It's Italy. different in Turin, Italy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> got it. Golden. He scheduled many meetings with different dealers in the area, and he would buy small quantities of gems, always paying in cash. Yeah. He dressed well and tried his hardest not to butcher the French language. Okay, first of all, you're not going to dress like a slob if you're buying, yeah. like, they're yeah, not going to sell yeah. to you. Yeah. So and he, second he of all, the part. everyone butchers the French language. <laughs> Shit's hard. It is hard. So Leonardo was... Basically a thief from birth. <laughs> he stole that womb. He stole his mother's heart. Aww. Also today, I like, <laughs> I walked in from the backyard into mom's house and she's like, where'd you come from? And I was like, your vagina. Where'd you come from? <laughs> she's like, I meant just now. <laughs> well, see, I can't say that. You can't. Ripped out of the womb. That's right. Um. So, <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Uh, he was born in Palermo, Sicily, and Palermo. there are, and there are rumors that his family was tied to the mafia. And there's always rumors yeah, when Sicily's yeah, involved. Well, you know, he could recount his first robbery at the age of six Stop in it. 1958. A robbery. Yeah, his mother his mother sent him out to buy milk, and he returned with five thousand lire, <gasps> which was about eight dollars, which in today's money is about seventy three dollars. Fuck. Because apparently the milkman had too much warm milk to drink and he had fallen asleep in his milk truck or whatever. So little baby Leo rifled through the drawers, took the milk and took some money. Oh my God. (laughs) 
His mother was obviously upset and did what any mother would do in that case. She beat little six-year-old Leo. She spanked him. (laughs) But apparently it didn't phase him at all, and he really liked stealing, and he found his calling. Oh my god, six years old. In elementary school, he would steal money from teachers. How does that happen? They leave their purse on their desk. No, I understand like oh. how he's stealing. Oh. From them. Like, how does it happen that like a six-year-old would think to steal like that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does have mafia ties. In high school, he would steal cars, and he honed his lock-picking skills. Nice. Mm-hmm. In his twenties, he would follow around jewelry salesmen and learn their <laughs> their routes and their routines and habits. And, you know, thieve from them. Or like door-to-door jewelry sales? I guess. I don't know. In his 30s, he began to assemble teams of thieves. Oh! Each with their own specialties, like lock-picking, safe-cracking, people who could beat alarm systems, guys who could tunnel under things. Whoa! He even had a man that could scale sleek exteriors of buildings. He's got quite the group. Yeah. Wow. And they all lived in or near Turin, and called themselves the School of Turin. Oh. Mm-hmm. One of Leonardo's specialties was charm. <laughs> so he would meet with the gem sellers and collectors, like uh-huh. I said, posing as a jeweler himself, and then people would let their guard down and invite them, invite him into their vault rooms, offices, and workshops. I wish that was one of my skills. <laughs> charm. Charm. <laughs> And each place that he went, he would study the rooms and inspect the merchandise and buy a few gems so the sellers wouldn't get suspicious. And then a few days or weeks later, the sellers would find their merchandise gone. Ooh. Completely cleaned out in the middle of the night. Wow. So when he had taken the stolen jewels and dismantled... Or so then, And then he would take the jewels and dismantle all the jewelry yes, and like take the gems to. for them so that they couldn't yeah. be recognized and then he would go to antwerp and sell the jewels that he had stolen for cash and he kind of like developed a rapport with certain dealers that he would go to who probably didn't care if they were stolen um and he would do this about twice a month wow yeah he's busy yeah yeah wow so uh, from the perspective of the buyers in Antwerp, he was just a regular seller of gems. He'd be there twice a month. Right. He had an office there or an apartment there that he rent out. He was seen all the time. And he would only, like I said, he would only work with trusted buyers that he had dealt with before. Wow. And also during this time, he maintained a marriage with kids in the foothills of the Alps. Well, sure. He's just got a regular job, regular life. Mm-hmm. Sounds lovely. Yeah. So one day, Leonardo was in a cafe in Antwerp when one of his regular buyers came in, and this guy knew that Leonardo was a thief, uh, but, like, didn't seem to care. You know. Well, he's not the one thieving, yeah, so it's, like, like fine. And he asked Leonardo... So, okay, this story is kind of contended because this is from Leonardo telling okay. the story. Mm-hmm. So you can only trust it so yeah. far. Yeah. He says that he that this guy hired Leo for a big robbery... And he said that he would give him 100,000 euros as payment to get all the gear and everything that they needed. Damn. And all he had to do... So, oh, so he was like, basically, I'm going to give you 100,000 euros first. For that money, all I want you to do is go into the vault, because he had been in the vault many times. Antonio... Antonio? Who's Antonio? (laughs) God damn it. What is happening? Leonardo. Yeah. 
had a safe deposit box in this vault because he knew it was the safest vault in all of Antwerp Uh that he didn't even think that he could get into. So he was like, if I can't break into it, this is the safest vault. I'm going to keep my stuff here. Right. So he was a regular in and out of this vault. Okay. Because he would go into his box, shuffle his diamonds, whatever you do. I don't know. Right. Um, So he was like, all you have to do is go in there, into the vault, and tell us whether, tell me whether or not you think you could break in there. Okay. And so Leonardo said that he would investigate, but he was like, I don't think it's possible, well, yeah, but for 100,000 euro, I'll, I'll fucking go, go check there. it out. It's probably one of those things where someone comes in with you. They're like, you need to go to your box. Let me like escort you to your box. No. So the way that it is, there were, there are guards, but like he was such a regular that like they were used to seeing his face going in all the time. So they would just like push the button and let him in. Because during the day... I think I have this written down, but during the day, the vault door was actually open, but there was like a grate, like a metal cage Mm -hmm. that like, if you wanted to go to your box, you just had to like check in with the security and then they would like let you in and open the gate for you and they could do it like from their little stand. Okay. So he was such a regular that they'd never, they stopped going in with him. Okay. Um, and like I said, he thought that this was like the safest vault in all of Antwerp, in possibly all of the world. So he kept his stuff there. So he was like, well, this will be a, an easy $100,000 uh, gyros to yeah, just go just in like and be like, nope. The vault. Yep. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but he was like, I'll, I'll go check. So equipped with a pen camera sticking out of his shirt pocket. What year is this? 2003. Oh, okay. He began walking down the street to the building all the while snapping pictures of things like the police surveillance booth and all the video cameras around the area and the building so the building itself was a 14-story fortress with its own private security force all visitors were questioned by guards since and since he rented space in the building he was able to get inside without issue because he had a tenant id card right so he would like flash his car and they were like, oh, Mr. Not the Bat, Not the Bat, the Lala. What the, 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 what's his name? Antonio. Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony. <laughs> so he got in and he took the elevator two floors down to the vault because it was underground. A three ton steel door blocked his way into the vault. This is crazy. Okay, so he like rents an office here. Or it's an apartment building. It's like a big, like a 14 story. Why would you want to live? Like, I understand there's like a lot of security, but you would think it'd still be pretty dangerous to live there. Well, he doesn't really, like, I think it was just to establish that he's like. But for like like anyone, like anyone who would have like an apartment or an office or whatever there. I don't know. This building seemed like it was on lockdown. Like, you had to go through multiple layers of security just to get in. I guess, but you're like sitting on top of a diamond cave. Uh, Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of dragons. I was just going to say. (laughs) Unless there's a dragon in there, I wouldn't Mm want to live there. Mm -hmm. So the vault, like I said, the door, the main door of the vault was three tons. Fuck. The door itself had six layers of security. First, there was a combination lock with 99 numbers on it. Jesus Christ. A four number code was required to open it. And the numbers could only be seen through a small lens at the top of the combo wheel. So you'd like look through a little lens to like see because there was like so many numbers that they're, you know, they're all small. So and also with that, there are 100 million possible combinations that the code could be. Do you think they like changed it? Probably. Often. The door was rated to withstand 12 hours of drilling. So you couldn't (laughs) even like drill in to like 
crack that. 12 hours of drilling. And even if you tried to drill, there was a seismic alarm that would trigger from vibrations Yeah, I would in imagine. The there were also two metal plates that, when armed, um, formed a magnetic field so that if the door was somehow opened, the magnetic field would be interrupted and then another alarm would go off. Fucking A. To disarm the magnetic codes, you had to enter another code on a keypad nearby. Okay. And then finally, the lock required an impossible to duplicate foot long key. <laughs> That's so big. <laughs> so pretty much impossible to get into. That's like the biggest lock ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a foot long key. But like bring out the key. Imagine on your like key ring. <laughs> oh my god. There's just one key keeper. You're like shuffling through all the keys, but it's obviously the one that's like a foot long. <laughs> Fuck. Foot long. Um, during the daytime, when the building was open for business, like I said, the vault was open except for a cage door that was operated by a guard who was watching through video feed. Since Leonardo kept his things in the vault and was regular there, the guard recognized him and would let him inside. Leonardo... But there weren't videos in the vault? There wasn't a video camera in the vault? There... I believe is a video camera in the vault. There would have to be. Definitely around the vault, but um, I think that yeah, I, I'm pretty I would sure think I get put to one that. In there. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I don't know. Uh, so Leonardo's in the vault and he's got his pen and he's like snapping pictures of all the like protect you know all the different layers of security that they would have to get through. And when he was in the vault, he noted that there was a motion detector, a heat detector, and a light detector, as well as security cameras that okay. transmitted to a guard station all inside the yeah, vault. Yeah, this seems insane. Yeah. Okay. How the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Each of the safe deposit boxes were made of steel and required a key and combination to open. Foot long keys. Foot long. <laughs> foot long. So Leonardo contacted the diamond dealer and was like, Hell no, we won't go. Yeah. Uh, Use your hand phone. He's like, ring, ring. (laughs) (laughs) No, he met him in real real life because he had the pictures. Okay. And he showed him all the pictures and he was like, it looks pretty impossible. Like not only are there like six layers of security on the door, then once you're in there, it's going to sense you no matter what. Motion, heat, video, everything is going to sense you. Um, but this didn't seem to deter the dude, and he told Leo that he wanted to introduce him to some people. So he took him to a warehouse, uh, unlocked the door, and inside was a giant structure covered by black tarps. Once the tarps were pulled back, Leonardo saw that they were standing... A replica. In front of an exact (gasps) replica... Oh my god! ...of the Diamond Center's vault. Oh my god. Everything was exactly the same crazy so this guy had had a replica built based off of the pictures that he had taken inside the vault okay it sounds like this guy already has a shit ton of money what are you doing that's why it's kind of like is this guy real or is it just like a rat like it's just trying to like pass blame except for how would he like how would he break in unless there was like a replica to practice on well but he had been in the vault many times so he knew oh, what all the, the things so they never were. found this guy they never found, no, the guy that he's saying told, hired what? him, they never found. Okay. So. This is insane. Yes. Okay. So they go inside the vault and inside there were three men. 
who Leonardo to this day only refers to by nicknames. He refuses to name names. Yeah, he's not a rat. He's not a rat. Okay. The first guy was known as the genius. He could supposedly disable any type of alarm. And then there was a tall buff dude known as the monster. I just feel like, okay, disabling any type of alarm is one thing, but disabling all the types of alarm? He can, yeah, he can do any of them. How? He's the genius. Fuck. So then there was the monster. (laughs) And he was called that not because he was gross looking, but because he was monstrously good at everything. He was an expert lockpicker, electrician, Uh mechanic, driver, and had enormous physical strength. I just feel like a better name could have been thought of. Well, I don't think they spent too much time on nicknames. Monster good. Monster good. (laughs) Maybe it makes more sense in Italian. Oh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Then there was the King of Keys who was an older man who was a locksmith and the best key forger in the world. This is crazy. What the hell? Yes. What have I been doing with my life? (laughs) I know. You've been wanting to hotwire shit. I want to be a master key forger. (laughs) Recreate footlong irreparable. What What are you trying to say? Irreplace, irre... Uh, replicable yeah 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 well if you can find the king of keys yeah and become his apprentice i will because he's someone that's never been found i either. will become the queen of keys queen of keys you have to call it queys then i would not call it <laughs> no one would ever hire me if i said that oh do you need a locksmith to come requee your door no <laughs> no come no. on it'll catch on no suit yourself they're going to laugh me out of the... The quee industry? Out of the uh, heist planning group. <laughs> Not until... No, once you show them your skills. They won't let me get that far. They're going to be like, this bitch. <laughs> this bitch and her quees. <laughs> uh, so the, the king of keys told Leonardo that he would need like a really good sharp picture of the key so he yes. could recreate it right and that was like his thing okay so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone else is like i'm the master of this i can do all this and yeah. he's like i'm gonna make the key i'm make that yeah. key during one of his visits to the real vault leonardo casually well, what's leonardo's job well he's like the inside man he's gonna like do all the like surveillance what's and everything what's his nickname leonardo antonio <laughs> antonio <laughs> <laughs> the mastermind yeah so uh leonardo he like he had like this teeny tiny itty bitty camera that he like brought with him to the vault once and like there was like a recessed light um aimed kind of at the combination wheel of the vault door and he like stuck the camera in the little light so they can so they could see what the combination how did they was. not see him do that he just like stretched, like, oh, and then like and stretched. And he was like and very sh- tall and, just put and it the in there. ceiling was very short. Yeah. And somehow also he had like a fake um, fire extinguisher that he, because he had to have something for the transmitter for the camera. So he uh, somehow put a fake fire extinguisher in a storage room nearby that he could like transmit the information that the camera was picking up. I just don't see how he put the camera in there. Well, he did. And because he did that, they were able to capture the combination and get a video of the key. So they could, they got a How though? They need the tiny lens. 
Apparently, you could just like see the way that they twisted the knob. I'm not sure. They what figured it out fuck? based on how like with the camera that must setup. That's a good quality camera. Yeah, because they said like the images were like sharp, like what really clear images. So they got that, and then two days before the heist, De Beers, the world's largest diamond mining company, carried in their monthly shipment of diamonds worth millions into Antwerp to be stored in the safest vaults around. So more diamonds! One day before the heist, Leonardo casually went to the real vault, as he had in the past, but this time he was carrying a can of hairspray in his jacket pocket. Luckily for him, the guard was so used to his presence in the vault that he didn't pay attention at all to what Leonardo was doing. And Leonardo took out the hairspray and in like a circular motion sprayed hairspray on the combined heat and motion sensor. Uh Uh-huh. Because the film that it caused would temporarily insulate the sensor from Mm -hmm. fluctuations in the room temperature. Not as smart. Yeah. Well, how is there not like a... Like a metal detector to go through to get into this vault. Like how? I well, just... because people are stuck. Well, what what if your thing that you want to put in there is metal? Then you put it in the little tray and they look <laughs> at it and then you pass through. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Oh, okay. I mean, I assume that like everyone coming in and out is like so wealthy, full of diamonds that they're just like <laughs> it, you know they're they're storing their stuff in there. I don't know. I think I mean, they. I mean, th- I guess I just feel like there could have been better they, security. They think their security is pretty good. I mean, it sounded good, it's but then if you could just put up one little camera and then spray some hairspray, <laughs> it just doesn't seem that good anymore. Well, the thing about the hairspray was. This was like one of the first times that he had tried using it, and so he wasn't sure how long it would actually last. Right. So we went in like it's like the, a test run. No, he went in like the day before they were gonna go, and he was like, "Yeah, spray, spray. Okay, well, hopefully it lasts till tomorrow." Yeah. Whoa, that's ballsy. Yeah. So the day of the heist, there was a tennis match across town that Venus Williams was in. So like the oh. entire Diamond District was pretty much emptied out because they were all... They're all huge tennis fans. I think, you know, it goes... Uh, what's a tennis bracelet? Isn't that diamonds? Yes, I there believe so. There you go. So. Tennis, diamonds. Oh, and let me just mention that the prize for this match, yeah. the winner would get a diamond-encrusted tennis racket worth a million dollars. What are you going to do with a diamond tennis racket? Hang it on your wall. That's so gauche. <laughs> Did Venus win? Probably, I don't Probably. know. Well, meanwhile, what the fuck so is happening everyone's in the world. at this match. Who's going to want a diamond tennis racket? The winner. I just feel like I'd rather take the million dollars. <laughs> well, you could sell it. To who, though? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> who would want that? It's dumb. Well, you could sell it to some diamond someone and they'll just take it apart. And take I'd rather have like a diamond tennis ball. I'd rather have just, just like a, a bag of diamonds. Cer- like a... Just one diamond the size of a tennis ball. There I'll you take go. That. There you go. I'll take that. <laughs> Can I get that instead? <laughs> or the mil- I would much rather have the million dollars. Yeah. Personally, but I don't. know. I guess when you're so rich, yeah, you don't I really... guess it doesn't really matter. It's like I might as well have another tchotchke for my house. Tchotchke worth million a million dollars. Dollar tchotchke. <laughs> yep. So it's like nighttime, and Leonardo got a rented car, and he picked up the monster, the genius, and the king of keys. And also a man whose nickname is Speedy, who is a personal friend to Leonardo's. Okay. That nobody else... fast? No. Apparently he was just nervous all the time. 
like he's on speed all the time. Yeah, and nobody else in the group wanted him to join. Yeah, but, it doesn't sound like he's but a Leonardo, good team member. Leonardo was like, we've been friends since we were kids. This is going to be like the biggest hit I've ever had. I've got to include him. Well, that's nice of Leonardo, but also when you're doing something like this, I just feel like, you know, leave the nervous Nellies at home. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good advice. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Foreshadowing. Oh. So, uh, they pull up and the everyone but Leonardo basically gets out of the car and they, they're carrying large duffel bags. The King of Keys picked a lock in a nearby office building, and they went inside. It was a little past midnight at this time, so there's, like, no one out. Right. The genius led the team out of the office building and into a garden that backed up to the back of the Diamond Center building. Okay. The reason they chose this place was because the garden was one of the few places that did not have any surveillance, video surveillance. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the genius had previously hidden a ladder in the garden. So he grabbed the ladder and he propped it up and he climbed up to the second story terrace, making sure to be slow and methodical because on the terrace there was a heat sensing infrared detector. Okay. And so he knew where the detector was and he approached it from behind. <laughs> sorry, he approached it from behind a large. Sorry, <laughs> oh, <man>. sorry. <laughs> He, he had made a polyester shield oh. because apparently the low thermal conductivity of the polyester blocked his body heat from the sensor. What? Yeah. And then he placed the shield over the sensor. Smart. Yeah. I guess he is the genius. Yeah. So. polyester. So now the sheet, the, the. You would think that polyester conducts a lot of heat though because you're always like sweating whenever you wear it because it doesn't no. breathe. No. It's, it's actually why they make it at a lot, a lot of sports sports sing outfits because it keeps your body cool also psa don't buy polyester it's made of oil (laughs) unless you want to sneak past heat detectors you'll be golden we'll just recycle well yeah recycle your shield also when you wash things like polyester and acrylic that breaks off into little plastic particles that end up in the ocean so (laughs) just buy natural fibers that's all All i'm saying debbie Okay. The blah, blah, blah. So he put the shield over the sensor, and now the balcony was safe, so the rest of the team climbed up. Then the genius disabled an alarm sensor on the window, and the team climbed inside. They found a stairwell and began the descent down, down to where the vault was. Away. Once they were down there... They put black bags over the security cameras and then turned on the lights so they could see the vault door. The genius then pulled out... Okay, I don't really understand this part. Okay. But he pulled out two aluminum plates and affixed them onto the two magnetic field plates. Mm -hmm. And then he was able to unscrew the bolts holding the magnetic plates in place, allowing him to pivot them away out of the way of the door so that the magnetic field was uninterrupted but they were able to, like, open the door without it going off. Okay. I have no idea how that makes sense, but he uh, did. You gotta learn about magnets. Yeah, it's all about magnets. <laughs> uh, but this guy's a genius, so, I mean, they don't call me the genius. Well, you're not a magnet expert. I'm the handphone man. You're, <laughs> you <laughs> can call, call anyone me. on Toll your Toll free. I call them up. <laughs> yep. 
You can look busy like you're on the phone at all times. You can. That's a good skill. Okay, so now it's the King of Keys' turn. And he played on a hunch. So in the videos, what they, because, you know, they're taking videos of. Yes. What he noticed was after they would do the combination and the little keypad for the whatever, Mm -hmm. and it was time for the big key, the guard would always leave the area and then come back. And he noticed that there was a utility room like right before the vault. So Mm -hmm. he was like, maybe. So he went into this utility room and there hanging on the wall was the big key. Shut up! So he didn't even have to make a copy. (laughs) But he did make a copy, didn't he? Uh, he did, but he ended up just using. Well, the I'd real rather. Key. Yeah, yeah, you would rather use the real one. Yeah. But are you kidding? Yeah. That, okay, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like you're like, oh, that sounds so good, but then they hang it in the utility room. Yep. No. So he put the key in the lock, and the genius entered the combination, and you when... would think that somebody would have said somewhere along the lines, like, well, they're like, we got like five other layers of security. Maybe we should like keep this key in a safer place. Well, they didn't. <laughs> so, so like, the genius has got his, the combination all queued up and the key is in and he, like, signaled to the team and they turned the lights off right before they opened the vault because the light sensor in the vault is still... They could just have access to the light switch. Yeah. Well, there's a light switch outside the vault. Okay. For the, you know, outside. Because they didn't want to tra- trigger the light detector. Yes. So, um, and then Leonardo, in the meantime, was keeping watch outside in the rented car with a police scanner. And every once in a while, Speedy would, like, run up the stairs and contact him with his cell phone because there was no reception in the basement. So he'd okay. have to, like, run up to, like, the third, the second floor and be like, we're in. Everything's good. And then he had to run back down and, like, make sure everything's good. And so they're both kind of keeping watch. And then now is the monster's turn. So he knew that the hairspray Leo used the day before wouldn't last long, so he had to work fast at disabling the sensors. He had practiced this in the fake vault many times in pitch black darkness because he knew they were going to have to work in the dark. Wait, so do you think, you think all these people are real? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Yes. How do all these people meet and... So they must have had a replica. Yeah. They must have had a replica. Or like I said, well, yeah, because he had to practice. Right. What the hell? Okay. So he's like, he had to count 11 steps to the middle of the room and then reach up in the pitch black to the ceiling and find this little panel and he had to like open the panel and then he felt a bunch of wires. So he's like, just a bunch of noodles. Like stuff like that. Like how did they know? Yeah. I don't know. What the hell? Okay. And those wires were controlling the security system. And if any of the sensors were tripped, the circuit would break and the alarm would activate. So he had to be very careful. Yeah. In the dark, he had his wire strippers and he carefully stripped the plastic coating from the wires. We can't even see. Mm-hmm. He what practiced this fuck? in the dark. Okay. I, oh my God. Okay. He's the genius. No, he's the monster. Yeah, he's the he's monster. The monster. He then clipped a new pre-cut piece of wire between the inbound and outbound cables. How do you know which ones he was stripping? I don't know. What the hell? The wire bridge rerouted the incoming electricity over to the outbound wire before the signal could reach the sensors. So it was kind of like he made a little loop. So now the sensors would be deactivated or they wouldn't set the alarm off. Um, so it was now safe for the others to enter the vault. 
they blinded the heat uh, slash motion detector with a styrofoam box and covered the light detector with electrical tape. Also, don't buy styrofoam. Okay. (laughs) Then they started to work. The King of Keys pulled out this handmade device that he made that was like some kind of hand crank drill with a thin shaft of metal on it. He would insert the little piece of metal into the lock of a safe box, and then he would like start cranking it. And each box took about three minutes for him to crank oh and, my and then God. break the lock, and then the box would snap open. That's so much time. Three minutes. <gasps> they did a hundred boxes. Fuck. They took turns opening the boxes and taking out the contents. Um, all of this was done in the dark with the occasion, like occasionally they'd flick on a flashlight just to like see and then flick it off. They didn't know like what ones they were going. They were just like picking randomly. Any of them are going to be good. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. And they'd like, they, they practiced all of this in the pitch black. So they were like. Right. Yeah. How, oh, okay. So their duffel bags were filling up with gold bars. Whoa. Millions of dollars in Israeli, Swiss, American, European, and British currencies. Fucking I. And bags containing rough and polished diamonds were put in their duffels. Wow. By 5.30 a.m., so they got there at midnight. Right. By 5.30 a.m., they had opened 109 boxes. Shit. But they realized that they had to stop now because soon people yes. would be going to work. Yes. So Speedy called Leo and told him to get ready and that they were coming out. It took them almost an hour to lug all their shit up the stairs. It'd be so fucking heavy. Yes. Yes. Gold bars? And that's like four four floors of stairs because two to the vault right. from, the, from the main floor and then Fuck. two to the balcony. So four okay. floors, lugging all the stuff, and then they had to like, you know, go past the sensors on the balcony and lower the stuff down. Oh my God. And uh, then they see Leo's car and they all run out to the car, throw everything in there, they take off. Success. They Fuck. got away with... Tons with millions. What the fuck? So they went back to an apartment to look through their loot. This is insane. But so uh, this is also a a maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. Leonardo says that as they were going through like because, you know, they'd grab just velvet pouches and throw them in the bag and that they'd noticed that a bunch of the pouches that should have contained diamonds were empty. Ooh. So he thought that maybe they had been set up. As like an insurance scam oh. of like, oh, well, we're going to put all, we're going to, we're a diamond company. We'll say that we put all these diamonds yeah. in here. We'll keep them, say they were stolen, get the insurance yeah. money and have the diamonds. Yes. So, yeah. Like I said, Leon, so yeah, Leonardo was like, maybe that guy that hired us was, you know, working with another company or it was his money. I don't know. Huh. But yeah, so now he was kind of feeling a little bit used. <laughs> Poor Leonardo. Well, I wonder like how many were because it could be like individuals trying to scam, you know, and being like, "I had my diamonds in here. I had like six diamonds, and now they're gone." Maybe. I mean, but if there could, were like a bunch yeah. of them, I guess it could have been. Yeah. Huh. There were like a bunch of them that were supposedly empty. Okay. The team decided that they would divvy up all their riches back in Turin. They didn't want to like risk well, being yeah. in Antwerp anymore. You gotta get the fuck out. So Leonardo and Speedy got into the rental with all the incriminating evidence in the back seat. The plan was for them to drive to France on their way to Italy. And once in France, they were going to burn all the evidence so that there was nothing to link them back to the crime. 
About 20 minutes into the drive before entering Brussels, Speedy started having a nervous breakdown. What the fuck, Speedy? You're getting away. Keep it together, Speedy. He told Leo that he thought that they, they couldn't drive through Brussels with all the evidence because there were probably cops swarming the town. Like, there's probably cops all over uh-huh. everywhere looking for them, so they, they got to, like, get rid of the evidence. And he told Leon, Leonardo to pull over. He didn't want to sit in the car for hours on end with all the incriminating stuff in the car. And Leo was like, don't worry. Like, chill out. Yeah. Keep it together. And he's like, if you want, I can drop you off at the train station. Right. And then I'll be the only one in the car. Yeah. But Speedy was like, no, you can't drive into Brussels into the train station because that's like where the cops are. We'll, we'll get caught. And Speedy demanded that they pulled over. So at the next exit, Leonardo took it and pulled onto a dirt road surrounded by trees and foresty things. Um, Leonardo had planned to burn the pile... So he was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just burn the pile here in the middle. What is he burning? Uh, there was like videotapes, like all, like all the recordings that they had of their surveillance, the pictures they had, like, there was a bunch of like envelopes and bags, okay. just like little trash bits, receipts, things that like just tying up loose ends okay. they need to get rid of. So Leonardo, like, he's like planning, okay, we'll just like pull all this stuff out and we'll just burn it here, whatever. Give you peace of mind. Well, Speedy started going nuts and he started throwing the trash everywhere. He was like, We gotta what get rid of it. We got, gotta get rid of it. So he's like throwing it up like into trees, under bushes. He was like stomping it into the mud. What the fuck? He was like pulling the videotape out of the cassettes and then like the the film was like on trees, like like streamers. What is his deal? <laughs> there were even like some diamonds that had spilled out onto the ground just like glitter like just diamonds here diamonds there just shit everywhere how hard is it to hold it together and leonardo was like fuck like it's gonna take hours to try and get everything into a pile to burn it we don't have time we gotta get out of here speedy started having a panic attack i would just pull over and then like dude if you need to get out of the car get out of the car goodbye yeah well then yeah that would have been a good idea but speedy just went nuts so Leonardo was like, get the fuck back in the car. We're going back to Italy. Hopefully no one finds this shit because it's like in, in the forested area. So dumb. So they get in the car and they make the drive to Turin. Unfortunately for them, yeah. the land was owned by a man named August Van Camp. August was a retired grocer who had bought the 12 acres of land Um. And he was like, he really loved the land. He was like an avid hunter and he was like really trying to take care of the land. But because the land was like adjoined to the highway, it was pretty common for people just to dump their trash and he was pissed. Yeah. So for like this whole year, he had, he would, every time he would find trash on his land, he would call the police. Oh my God. What are the chances? Right? Yeah. Oh man. So... Well, okay, so because it, it started because one time he had built like a little hut for himself out on the land and some teens had come and like partied and burned down the hut and oh left like God. piles of trash. So he was like, that's it. Yeah, After that incident, he started calling the cops every time he would find any kind of trash on his land. The police were so used to him calling and reporting the trash and like he would always be like, you have to come out here and investigate. And they'd be like, yeah, sure, August, we'll get right there, don't worry. Oh, God. And they usually never showed up. Sometimes they would come if they had nothing else to do. 
But mostly it was just like, this is trash. Like, how are we, we can't, Yeah. I don't know what he wants to do. So on February 17th, while he's walking around his land, he was pissed yeah. when he found another pile of trash. Shit strewn about his property. Everywhere. He started inspecting the trash so that he knew exactly what to report to the police Good. when he went back to yeah. his house. The pile consisted of videotapes with the film part pulled out, flapping in the wind. There was a wine bottle, a salami sandwich, <laughs> a wrapper for some salami. Oh my it's very God. Italian. Well, you gotta eat. You gotta keep up your uh, stamina. Yeah, yep. You gotta fuel up with some protein. And then there were these white envelopes with the world's diamond center printed on them. Oh God. So then he went back to his house and he called the police and like, ring, ring. And they're like, police. And he's like, hey, uh, it's me. It's August. I have a lot of trash on my land. Let me tell you what's on my land. And the guy's like, sure, sure, whatever. He's like, there's like tape and there's a salami sandwich that someone didn't even finish. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Oh, and also there's these envelopes that have like the diamond center on them. And the police are like, wait, wait, what? What, what was that? What was on the envelopes? And he's like, yeah, it says like Antwerp Diamond Center. And the police were like, oh, we'll be right there. Yeah. So they came out, a bunch of them, and started collecting all the evidence. They, they found some of the diamonds that were strewn here and there. <laughs> and they took all the evidence back to the headquarters in Antwerp, where they began to inspect every piece they had. There were bits of torn paper that they were able to piece together like a puzzle. And yeah. the paper was an invoice for a low-light video surveillance camera or system with the buyer's name printed on it. Uh-oh. Leonardo Notarbartolo. They also found a business card for an Elio Donario, who happened to be an electronics expert tied to a series of robberies. Oh, no. Leonardo still to this day refuses to name his accomplices, but the cops are pretty sure that Elio was the genius. Yeah. They also found some packaging for the Antipasto Italiano Salami. (laughs) (laughs) After they found Leonardo's name on the surveillance um, invoice, they got a search warrant for his apartment, Mm -hmm. and there they found a time-stamped receipt for the salami. Oh, no. Oh, no, Leonardo. So a detective armed with this information went to the grocery store. He was just so hungry. It was purchased from and asked the owner to rewind his videotapes for when the receipt was timestamped for. And when they watched the tape at the exact moment, they saw a tall, muscular man buying the salami. His name was Ferdinando Finotto, Mm -hmm. or the monster. (gasps) So they do know who all these people are. They know who most of them are, the ones that they've caught. Wow. Meanwhile, back in Italy, the team of thieves met up in a bar in Adro, which is apparently a small town like 50 miles northeast of Milan. They were supposed to... Whoa, I spelled meat like the food. Uh-huh. You're talking about salami? You're like, mm. <laughs> They were supposed to get a, meat. a charcuterie board. <laughs> They were supposed to meet with the diamond dealer who had set the whole thing up in this bar. Right. So that they could divide the loot because the dealer was supposed to get a third of the treasure since he had like financed the operation. Uh-huh. And then the rest of the team could divvy up the rest. Um, and initially they were each, 
if all the diamonds had been there like they were supposed to be, yeah, they were each going to get about, uh, or they were each going to get tens of millions of dollars. Damn. But because half the diamonds were missing when they took the gems, they were looking at about three million per person, which is still a good amount. It's still a good amount. But it's not what they were hoping for. Fuck. Which is why they kind of felt a little ripped off. Yeah. But then again, we don't know if like the dime if there actually were all the diamonds in there and they have them. So And they, what, like Leonardo stashed them before yeah. he like Yeah. Hmm, he is kind of a thief. Because as you'll find out, they never found any of the stuff. They don't know where any of the loot is. The police never recovered any of it. What? Yeah. Yep. what so he like buried it or something probably before he met them so they're at the bar waiting for the dealer and they're there hour goes by after hour and the guy never shows up during that time leonardo was going over the trash dumping mistake that uh in his head caused yeah, and he knew, he was like, fuck, this is probably going to come bite me in the ass. Uh, yeah. He's like, I knew that I should have gone back and burned it all after dropping Speedy off, but he didn't. He just went to Turin. Yeah, but if if he had, then he would have just been locked up right then and there. Yeah, he didn't know. But he was, he's still oh, thinking it's out God. there in the forest. Yeah. He's like, I should probably go burn that. I don't know. It was kind of eating at him. And, and he also felt bad that the one guy on the team that he vouched for could Fucked be it up. their undoing. Mm-hmm. Everyone else on the team had said that they didn't want Speedy on the team and yeah. that he would become a liability, but he was like, I got this. He's my buddy. I know him. Shit. So they they waited until the bar closed and that dude never showed up. So they were Weird. like, we were probably set up. set up. Either that or this whole thing is made up by Leonardo and there was no guy. But, but the other people... But Okay, so... Do you think that the other people thought that there was a guy? I don't know. There, I, I didn't. Oh. This is all from his perspective. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think any. None of them are talking. They won't say anything. Hmm. Leonardo still had that rental car that was due back in Antwerp the next day, so the plan was for him to return the car, and then he was going to go to the Diamond Center as he normally did, thinking yeah. that the cops would be looking for any regular that had vanished. Right. So he was like, "I'm just going to go in, play it cool." Also, he wanted to, like, clean up his apartment more thoroughly, get that salami receipt that he left. Yeah. But, like, his wife was like, I haven't seen you in so long. Let me go to Antwerp with you. And he was like, okay. Oh. So the couple start driving. She's like, I never see you ever. Yeah. Yeah, you're always gone doing diamond things. (laughs) So just as the couple were driving through the Alps... The Italian police surrounded the Nota Bartolo home after the Belgian detectives asked the Italian police to search the home. Leo's 24-year-old son, Marco, was home and refused to let them inside. Yeah, Marco. He called his dad's cell phone just as the police were kicking in the (gasps) door. Oh, how scary. Well, Leonardo's, like, grandchild was playing with his phone the night before and had put his phone on silent. Uh oh. So he never heard his phone ring and his wife's phone was turned off. So the police came in and and Marco was like, "What the fuck?" And they're like looking for shit. Back in Antwerp, Leonardo and his wife made it there and he they're like, you know, walking down or driving something. 
And Leonardo waved to the security guard at the Diamond Center, as was his custom. Uh-oh. Only this time, the guard knew the police were looking for him. So the guard called the detectives to let him know he's back. Oh, God. Back to the scene of the crime. <laughs> So the cops showed up and started questioning him, and of course, he pretended not to understand French. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the detectives asked him to take them to his apartment, and he was like, Ah, yes, my apartment. I don't remember what the address is, but I'm sure I could find it by walking around. <laughs> so the cops were like, All right, let's go find your apartment. So they walked him around until he was like, Oh, yes. Uh, oh, okay, so back up a little bit. When he, like, got to the, I, I guess, like, him and his wife, they, like, pulled up to the Diamond Center. He was going to, like, check in, do his, like, I'm going to the vault like normal. Yeah. And then she was going to go to the apartment or something. Okay. And one of his friend, like, a friend that he had saw him and then, like, tipped off his wife that the cops had gotten to him uh-huh. so as the cops pulled up with leonardo and he was like oh yeah that's my apartment um his wife and a couple of their friends were lugging out like everything like they had, oh, they were cleaning god. out the apartment they had um a bunch of bags and a rolled up carpet oh god <laughs> so and if if they had if the police had just been a minute later they would have gotten all that shit out shit so the police rounded everyone up and they took them into custody the packed bags contained even more evidence. There were a number of prepaid SIM cards linked to the cell phones of Elio Denario, the genius, uh-huh. Ferdinando Finotto, the monster, and the third was for a man named Pietro Tavano, who detectives think was speedy. Ah, oh, fucking Pietro. <laughs> On the night of the heist, a cell tower pinged all three cell phones oh, in no. the Diamond District. Leonardo's phone also pinged off the same tower at the same time frame. In his home in Turin, police found 17 polished diamonds attached to certificates that they could trace back to the vault. Oh, no. When they unrolled the rug that the wife was, like, carrying out, they vacuumed the rug up and they found lots of diamonds embedded into the fibers of the rug. Oh, shit. (laughs) So they're all arrested, obviously. The Belgian courts found Leonardo guilty of orchestrating the heist and sentenced him to 10 years. How did he have time to do all that? I don't know. Belgian detectives asked the French police to check the home of the monster's girlfriend. Uh-huh. When they did, they found marked $100 bills that belonged to one of the heist victims. The monster was arrested in Italy and he served five years for his part. I mean, uh... the genius denied being part of the heist team. He said he he had installed cameras for Leonardo in his apartment, but never in the vault. But then detectives were like, oh, that's funny because we found your DNA on a piece of adhesive tape in the vault. Oh, no, you got to wear gloves yeah. and use the tape. He was extradited to Belgium and served five years. Oh, shit. Okay, so... If you get tens of millions of dollars, I just feel like five years is not that much time. Whatever. That'd be like you work five years, basically, and you get tens of millions of dollars. And you have more money than you ever would working five years. Yeah. That's kind of worth it. Whichever way it went, one thing is for sure, most of the loot, other than like the stuff that they found in the rug and like scattered in the trash, 
most of the stuff has never been recovered. And none of those involved are talking about what happened to it. Well, no. Why would they? Yeah. So they've all got loot that they probably have now dug up by now because it's been over five years Fuck. for them or ten years for Leonardo. Crazy. So I think that we can all agree the lesson here is do not litter. Do not litter. Not only does it make you look like an unrefined trash person. Yes. But it could land you in prison one day. Well, hopefully the, yeah, if you do litter, you deserve to go to prison. Yeah. Is what I, like, that's yeah, how I Yeah, I could care less it. about stealing diamonds. Like, good on you if you can do it. <laughs> that so was amazing. That's what I say. <laughs> but um, definitely check out this article that the information comes from, because not only was it pretty well written, there were pictures of a lot of stuff oh. and, and, like, a diagram of the vault. Cool. And um, Leonardo... He, so the author of the article, Joshua Davis, he, like I said, he got the information from interviewing Leonardo in prison. He like went like many times yes. and interviewed him and Leonardo initially, like he refused to speak to anyone about anything for the first six years of his sentence. And the only person that he opened up to was Joshua and he still refuses to name names. Yeah. He's not a snitch. So that is the story of one what? of the bigger heists. In... The smartest one of all was the key, dude. Yeah, he's like, he's I'm like, gonna I do anything. Have to make the key and go, go in this utility don't closet. Don't call me. Don't anything. I will find you guys when I need to, and nothing traces back to me. I'm not buying salami. Send someone else. <laughs> Fuck off. Got my own hand homemade wow. salami. That was crazy. Yeah. What a tale. So that was amazing. Pretty cool. Bet you didn't know about that. I had no idea about that. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway right so the tossed salad has more components the person is able to compartmentalize and a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled just one component one track mind they're all kinds of mixed up there's no focus they're disorganized I feel like the only tossed salads in that story are the people who are still di- buying diamonds. De Beers. When you tossed know, salad. Yeah. When you know how bad it is for the earth and for the people who are like yeah. digging them up and shit. People that are literally dying uh-huh. and losing their lives because of your greed. Diamonds. Diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Fuck diamonds. Fuck diamond companies. Yeah. Trash people. Yeah. I'm glad that they got robbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, I wonder where they stashed it all. I know. What? That's what makes it Because fun. that happened really quickly. Like, they were mm-hmm. caught pretty quickly after. So how did they... 
Wow. Yep. Where did they put it? Where did they put it? Diamond encrusted tennis rackets, Can perhaps? Can you imagine, like, stashing diamonds in your rug? <laughs> That's kind of a just smart, being, like, like, careful when you vacuum, Sprinkle them in. Was it, like, a shag rug? It been, like, it had to be. I mean, something with a high pile. Yeah, very high pile. Or small diamonds. Very small diamonds. I don't know. Diamond chips. I've never had to hide diamonds, so. Diamond chips. Diamond chips. <laughs> you know you've made it when. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fucking tennis racket. That's like the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard of. So dumb. Uh, I hate greed. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you want to support a company that does not bleed their employees or not even employees, let me start again. Yeah, start again. <laughs> if you want to support a company that does not hurt the environment like diamond companies or littering or littering or polyester or styrofoam check out humble bee herbal all their products are made to be zero waste um, and recyclable and everything is good for your body and good for the earth get your soaps your body products there's got lotion they've got bath bombs they've got shower steamers Check them out at humblebeeherbal.com and use code CRIMINY20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's humblebeeherbal.com. Get your soap and stuff. All right, that's good. Mm. I think I'm going to change my story now because what? yours was... Well, yours was very, like, murder light. Oh, were you going to do a murder light, too? I do. I have another one. I have one that's, like, quite the tale, but I think I'm going to save that for... Okay. yeah, yeah. Then this other one is also quite the tale, but it's more murder centered. <laughs> murder. Murder not like heavy. Murder heavy. A little more murder heavy. All right, bring it. Okay, so I got my information again from the book "The Killer Across the Table: Colon Blah Blah Blah" by <laughs> John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. Uh-huh. So this one, this one's pretty crazy, and I thought like when I first read the story like I thought that there was a uh, forensic files about this but there's a forensic files about something that was like sent like I couldn't find it so I think huh. it was like kind of like a similar story I don't okay. know so this one's gonna jump around just a little bit but here we go on November 6th 2003 just after 3 p.m. a man walked into Superbike Motorsports in South Carolina which was a motorcycle store and repair shop. Mm-hmm. He was a customer and a friend of the owner. What he saw inside was more than just motorcycles. Uh-oh. Also, 2003, that's the same as mine. Oh, that's so crazy. Uh, I said he was. This is not... No, there. What is that? There was blood everywhere. Uh-oh, not motorcycle blood. Not from motorcycles. Oh, and no. there were three dead bodies. Uh-oh. He called 911. Ring, ring. On his handphone. He was like, check out my handphone. It's the newest, latest model of this year. He told the dispatcher where he was and that everyone had been shot. Yikes. He said his mom has been shot. The mechanic's been shot. His mom? He said, quote, his mama's been shot. Oh. The mechanic's been shot. Oh. So when police arrived, they ID'd the bodies. There were Scott Ponder, who was the 30-year-old owner of the store. Wow. Fucking A. Then there was Brian Lucas, the 29-year-old service manager. Mm-hmm. Chris Sherbert, the 26-year-old mechanic. 
I haven't had a good sherbet in forever. I love sherbet. Is it called sherbet or shorbet? Shorbet? Sherbet. It's sherbet. Sherbet? Sherbet. It's sherbet. Sorbet. No, it's not sorbet. It's sherbet. I like a sherbet. This is a sherbet. Okay. He was the mechanic. And then Scott's mother, Beverly Guy, who was 52. Oh. All had died from multiple gunshot wounds. And there were 18 shell casings of two different kinds. Yikes. Overkill. Yes. Police figured that the killer or killers went to the shop area and shot Chris. Chris was shot from behind and above as he was working on a bike. Oh, So fuck. he didn't see the shooter come in. I mean, it's probably the better way to go. Yeah, not even knowing. Yeah. Then the killer went into the showroom and shot Beverly as she was coming out of the bathroom. And it looked as though Brian and Scott were running for help because oh, no. Brian was dead in the front doorway and Scott was found in the parking lot. Oh, fuck. There was no DNA evidence and no fingerprints. Oh, no. Nothing had been taken, so it wasn't a robbery. Well, yeah, the amount of killing is like, that's personal. Not just, yeah, it seems more personal for sure. And the man who called the police said that he had seen a young man and a woman walking away as he went into the store. Uh-oh. Kelly Sisk came forward and she said that, I mean, sorry, he said that he was in the store mm. a half hour before with his four-year-old son. They were making a payment on a go-kart that he was buying for his kid. Oh and God. he saw Scott talking to a customer looking at a black Kawasaki Katana 600 motorcycle. Wow. The man was wearing a black Columbia fleece jacket, even though it was really warm. And Ew. he's like, that's kind of weird. And He must be stinky in that and the heat. Oof. He didn't appear to have much experience with motorcycles. Hmm. So when police arrived, there was a bill of sale for a black Kawasaki Katana 600 motorcycle, but there was no name on it. And police looked into a bunch of leads. They looked into disgruntled employees and dissatisfied customers. They looked into if it was a hired hit mm -hmm. from a competitor or a drug related because there have mm. been rumors about like drugs or whatever. Mm. But they found nothing. Yeah. Until... <gasps> Police called Scott's wife, Melissa, and told her that her baby that she had given birth to right after the murders was not her husband, Scott's. Police told her? Mm -hmm. She's like, I just gave birth to my husband's baby. And police are like, ring, ring on your hand phone. Yeah. Your baby is not your husband's. Yeah. What? Police had grabbed her baby's diaper after she changed him. Excuse at me? At the office. Uh-huh. And they did DNA comparison to Scott's blood that they had taken from the scene of the crime. Melissa was shocked. She was like, Scott and I were in love, and the only way that that could have happened is if they gave me the wrong baby at the hospital. Like, there's oh. no way this is not Scott's baby. Uh, yeah. She's like, I'm pretty sure I know who I've slept with. Mm-hmm. So they did another... She demanded they do another yeah. test. She was like, no fucking way. Uh, when they did, they found out that the father was Brian. Brian? The business partner. Uh-oh. So police were like, what the fuck? They were suspicious of Melissa from the start because not only is she like, you know, a spouse, but when they told her that Scott was dead, she was like, I don't want to hear the details. I don't want to hear what well, happened well, to yeah, him. Yeah, why would you want to hear the details? Well, uh, so, so they're like, okay, well, you, your baby's not... 
your husband's. It's his business partner's. And you didn't want to know the details of the murder because you probably so already knew them. So we're really suspicious of you. Great. But 18 months later, after the murders, the sheriff's office was informed that Scott and Brian's vials of blood had been mixed up. Okay. Oops. So, wow. So now we're telling you that your husband was murdered. <laughs> yep. Your baby's not his. Yeah. And we're blaming you for it. Yeah. Oh, whoopsies. We Whoops. mixed up the blood. It actually was your husband's baby. Like you knew all along because. Could you even, I can't even imagine. No. Like what's going through your mind when you're like, what? Like Okay, maybe my baby was switched. Wait, now they're saying that the baby is related to Brian? Yeah. That means, like, what happened? Yeah. What How the hell happened? Happen? Yeah, not only is your husband dead, your mother murdered, all of his, like, business partners and whatever, they're all murdered, and then you're, like, pregnant, and you're like, fuck, I can't even hear what happened to my husband because this is, like, too much already. Yes. And then they're like, also, that baby's not his, and you're like, what the fuck? So, after this, the case went cold. There was nothing. Do you have any ideas? Profile this killer. Well, obviously, someone that knew them. That... Well, that whole pregnancy thing is a red herring. Right. So we got to go back to the but drawing board. But that was the boards. police's own red herring. They fucked That's it up. Stupid. Like, how are you gonna take blood from the crime scene and then test it? Well, and obviously they like, wanted oh. to. They wanted to prove that she was in on it to begin with. They took the diaper right. instead of being like, "Oh, do you mind if we like test your DNA or whatever?" Like, seeing if she would come forward. Okay, but also Brian was also murdered. Yeah. So why so would she like, like oh, have her well, husband because... and the father of her baby murdered? Maybe it went bad, or maybe she was like, "I'm." Tired of all these boys. Let's just start over. Let's just erase it. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Okay, so now we're going to go to a different... We're going to go up into the future. So that's 2003. We're going to go to 2016. Whoa. That's future. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and this person's... Her name is spelled K-A-L-A, but I heard it pronounced Kayla, so I'm going to say Kayla. Kayla Victoria Brown, 30, and Charles David Carver, 32, went missing. Mm-mm. The last time anyone saw them was leaving their Anderson, South Carolina apartment on August 31st, 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 2016. Charles was currently married, but in the process of getting a divorce mm-hmm. and his relationship with Kayla was serious. Ooh. He talked to his mother every day. So when she didn't hear from him, she had the apartment manager check on their home. So... The apartment manager goes in, and no one is home except for Kayla's Pomeranian, Romeo. Uh Uh-oh. Romeo had been without food or water (gasps) for who knows how long. And Kayla's mother was like, something is wrong because she loves Romeo. She would never, ever leave him him without food or water. Yeah, yeah. And you buy a Pomeranian. I was going to say, when you get a designer dog. You know they're not going to take care of themselves. Yeah, you... (laughs) You, I mean, you're usually, committing to like babying that thing exactly, forever. Exactly. Those are, you, those are your fur babies. Yeah. So there was also no sign of Charles's car. They put up posters and and it appeared that someone had hacked into Charles's Facebook and claimed that that he and Kayla were fine. They had just gone off together. They were like, we're Probably starting. Fine. We're starting. Nobody even asked together. anything. It was just yeah. like, we're fine. Everything's good. Nobody come we're looking for us. We're all good. It's fine. 
But Charles' mother was like, okay, this is not written from him. This well, is yeah, not his Well, yeah, and if they were voice. fine, they would have taken Romeo with them. Well, and he would have still been calling his mom, too. So, yeah, Romeo right. would have gone, and he would have been, like, in contact with his mom, being like, hey, mom, we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So then, and also, like, you can tell when, you know, you know how people write, especially yeah. if they're, like, yeah. on Facebook all the time or whatever. Like, you know how they write, yeah. and that and just was not him. from him. Mm-hmm. So then on October 18th, two Anderson detectives came to visit the Spartanburg County Sheriff. They told the detective in Spartanburg that they were working on a missing persons case mm-hmm. and that they had heard that Kayla was buried in a 100-acre wooded property. Excuse me? Yeah. Kayla's cell phone had last pinged to a cell tower in Woodruff, just south of Spartanburg. There was only one property that fit the description of a hundred acre wooded property. A hundred acre woods. Isn't around, that where Winnie the Pooh lives? Yeah. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh did not live on this property. Uh, around where the cell phone pinged. So that property was within two miles of Uh-oh. her last cell phone activity. Mm. It belonged to a successful real estate broker named Todd Christopher Kolhep. Todd was 45 years old. He had a pilot's license and a BMW sports car. Okay, so the sheriff's office flew helicopters over Todd's property, trying to find evidence that Kayla and Charles had been there or were still there. Mm-hmm. They're like looking for his car, they're looking for anything. The property was super dense with trees, so they didn't really see like anything. They were able to get Todd's cell phone records, which placed his phone close to Kayla's, so they had probable cause to search the property. She's somewhere here. He was with her at some point. Yeah. So Todd had had two properties, one in Moore and one in Woodruff. On November November 3rd, the sheriff's office sent people to both. In Woodruff, deep in the woods, the police found a 15 by 30 foot green metal shipping container. Mm. It was secured with five locks. Oh, no. And the police were like, we got to get into this. Oh, my God. This is kind of like the vault. Yeah. What the fuck is in here? We got to get in. So they start work and they've been working for like 15 minutes trying to break off the locks with sledgehammers. At this point, there's no Todd. They're just like, they found this thing and they're like, five locks. They're just on his property. They're like, what the fuck is in the shipping Mm. container? So they're like banging it with sledgehammers. And then someone was like, stop. And so they're like, stop. They're quiet. He's like, I think I heard knocking coming (gasps) from inside the container. So then, so then he knocked and they heard knocking back. Okay. So then he heard someone inside say help. Uh oh. <laughs> right, so then they're like, fuck, we gotta get into this thing. So they get power tools from the property, including a blowtorch. Oh, they're just like, laying around. Break the, the okay. fuck in here and the property. Shit. So they finally get the locks off and they go inside. There they find Kayla Brown <gasps> chained to the wall oh, by God. the neck and handcuffed. Mm-mm. So as they're cutting her loose, and you can see this, it's on video. As they're cutting her loose, they asked what happened to Charles. And she replied, Todd Kolhep had shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest. Fuck. They're like, what happened to your friend? And she's like, Charlie? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, he he shot him three times in the chest. <sighs> On the property and more, Todd was confronted with what the other team had found. They're like, hey, uh, you better find this guy. Uh, There's a woman in his shipping container. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what? 
he asked to talk to his lawyer and to his mother, and he was handcuffed and taken to the Spartanburg Detention Center. Uh... On the property where they found Kayla, they also found a loft apartment above a garage where there were other chains and shackles. Uh-oh. They found Charles's car that Todd had attempted to hide by crushing it under a tree. He, like, put a giant tree what? on top of it. Like, nothing to see here. He stained it brown. So it looked like a tree trunk? And covered it in brush to try and, like, camouflage it. Yep. They also found an empty grave Uh-oh. that it had been dug. So Kayla told detectives that Todd said he was responsible for multiple murders in a motorcycle shop some time back. Ew. When Todd was being interrogated, he cooperated with the police after he was able to call his mom and his lawyer, and he confessed to a few murders. Just a sprinkling. For four hours, he told detectives that he killed the four people in the motorcycle shop, and that he had also killed Johnny Joe Coxey, 29, and Megan Lee McCraw Coxey, 26. What? They had been reported missing on December 22nd, 2015. Todd said that he hired the couple to clean some of his rental properties. He took them to his Woodruff property to pick up some supplies. And he thought that they were going to rob him uh, when Johnny took out a knife. Sure. He said that he shot Johnny right away. Oh. But he kept Megan alive for several days trying to figure out what to do with her. How nice. Eventually, he decided that killing her was the only option. So he showed police where on his property he buried both them. Wow. He also said that he had he had taken trips down to Juarez, Mexico with some other guys to kill drug dealers. Oh, just for fun? Yeah. Like sport? Yeah. It was like vacation time. Fun. Oh, that's kind of fun. They just go on yeah. their, you know, like hunting trips to Juarez. Ugh. He had confessed at this point to at least seven murders. Jesus. Okay, so while he's being interviewed, so was Kayla. Okay. So she shared her experience of being held captive as a sex slave for two months. Two months. She said that on August 31st, she and Charles went to Todd's for a job. She had worked for him before cleaning for his real estate firm. And that day she brought Charles along to help because she's like, cool, we have a job. We can both make some money here. Let's go. Todd told them that he would meet them so that he could open, like, at his property so he could open the gate and then lock it after they drive through for, like, safety mm-hmm. purposes. They followed Todd in till they got to a large two-story garage, a small garden shed, and a shipping container. Okay. They all went into the garage, and Todd grabbed some hedge clippers and some water, and he was like, okay, you guys are going to clear the underbrush on a trail. Mm-hmm. And then they went outside, and Todd was like, oh, I'll be right back. Uh, I gotta go get something else from the garage. Oh, no. So as they're waiting outside, Kayla and Charles are holding hands and they're just like waiting for him. They're like, yay, we have like work. We are gonna get some money or whatever. Todd claimed that he heard them talking about stealing from him yeah, when he right. left them alone. So when he came back out, he shot Charles three times in the chest. No questions asked. No questions. He just walks out with a gun and shoots him. This guy is a fucking piece of shit. Kayla said that she stood there in shock. Yeah. She was like, yeah. What the fuck? Like you said, you think you got a job for like the day to Mm -hmm. make some money. You're probably pretty desperate. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, and. And she's worked for him before. Yeah. So she's like, all right, this is a good gig. Like whatever. I met him. And you brought your boyfriend here. 
I mean, like, like I've done that before where we've like had, we're like, okay, well we need money. And someone's like, okay, come like weed my yard or whatever. Yeah, we're come like, to our chill. property and yeah, like, we'll do it. We'll give you a shovel and you're like, totally. Yeah. You're like, pay you cash at the end good. of the day. I'll bring you my better partner. be careful. Let's, like make money. I know. Okay. So, uh, you need to get yourself a, a purse gun. <laughs> my purse is so small and so crammed already. That's a gun is true. not going to fit in there. Well, you're going to need another purse just for your gun. I'll carry two purses. Yeah. Yeah, that's not weird at all. <laughs> okay, so Kayla's like shocked standing there. Yeah. Then Todd pulls her into the garage and he told her that if she didn't go with him, she would end up like Charles. Jesus. He uh-huh. handcuffed her, ankle cuffed her, and gagged her. Mm-mm. He told her that he had to take care of Charles. And during this, he was like totally calm the whole time. <sighs> So after about 20 minutes, he comes back into the garage and he brings her back outside. He had put Charles' body into the bucket of a front loader tractor wrapped up in a blue tarp. And he told Kayla that he had had a woman captive a while back, but she pissed him off, so he killed her. He also told her that he had killed over 100 people. Okay. So at this point... Who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this guy? Okay. You go to work for some guy. He shoots your partner. Yeah. Chains you up. Yeah. Brings you inside. Brings you back outside. You see, like, your partner's dead body. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've already killed 100 people. And I had a woman captive, like, a while back. And you're like, well, I'm never what getting the fuck out of is here happening? Alive. Yes. Terrifying. Terrifying. So, for the first two weeks of her captivity, he kept her chained to the inside of the shipping container. He would bring her into the garage twice a day to eat and sexually assault her. God. If she refused, he wouldn't force himself on her. How nice. He made it very clear. But she said that he made it clear that if she wasn't useful to him, he would get rid of her. Yeah. So he was like, oh, no, no. The sex was totally consensual. And she's like, I was afraid for my fucking life. I mean, I'm sure it was both ways where he was like, no, it's like you have to, you have to okay it. Yeah. But if you don't, you could probably die. I mean, that's like. That was like the undertone of it mm-hmm. all, you know? Yeah. So this guy's out of his fucking mind. Okay, so then he also told her that if she was good, he would teach her how to kill and they would become partners. Like Fun. assassins together. Cool. What so the fuck? Great. <laughs> what? She was kept mostly in the container in the dark, but would be led to the house for some meals and to use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And she said that she tried to be super cooperative so that he would treat her better. So she's just trying to survive at this point. And he's like, oh, she's totally into me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He claimed that he never physically harmed Kayla. Mm, That's a lie. uh, Except for keeping her chained and raping raping her. her. Mm -hmm. But according Mm -hmm. to him, it's consensual, like I said. Mm -hmm. And then he said that he brought her, he like bought her whatever she wanted on Amazon to keep her happy. Oh, what a nice guy. He also said that she was a drug addict and he got oh. her clean. Yeah. So he yeah. cleaned her up. Yeah. He bought her whatever she wanted. Turning her into a real woman. Clearly only assholes use Amazon. Guys, stop using Amazon. <laughs> Clearly. Okay. Don't be like Todd. Don't use Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically also don't cor- kidnap and murder or whatever. That if you're but... a murderer or kidnapper, you're more likely to use Amazon. That's right. Don't do it. I mean, looking at you, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, how many people have you murdered and kept in your stored containers? I'm in your sure property? many. That piece of shit. Okay, on May 26, 2017, Todd Kolhep took a plea deal. He pled guilty to seven counts of murder. 
two counts of kidnapping, one count of criminal sexual assault. That's one? all he would agree what? to. And He's like, well, four... maybe that one time. She, I don't know. She wasn't really smiling, but... And four counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. Okay. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, nice. plus 60 years. Oh, good. Add that cherry on top. All right, so let's look into Todd. Yeah, who the fuck is this piece of shit? So Todd took part in a documentary for the ID channel called Serial Killer, The Devil Unchained. Fun. So Maria Oz is a documentary film producer, and she created the project. So she got to interview him, mm-hmm. and so she was like, she took a deep dive. She interviewed people who knew him and like people around the case, and she interviewed him too. So he was born in Florida on March 7th. Mm-hmm. Crazy people born in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1971, so he's a Pisces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slippery uh, fish. That's right. To Regina and William, they divorced when Todd was two. His mother got custody and then remarried a man with two kids of his own quickly after. Mm-hmm. And Todd's stepfather adopted him when he was five, but they often clashed. Mm-hmm. He got along well with his step-siblings and was happy to like have siblings yeah but while the family lived in st louis his step siblings were kidnapped by their bio mom oh and his stepdad didn't try and get them back he's just like whatever goodbye uh so many questions first of all what the fuck's up with his dad where we don't we'll talk to you we'll talk about his dad and then what is uh, his step siblings were kidnapped okay so so what happened was their bio mom went to the school and she was like, oh, I'm an aunt and the kid's mom died oh. and I'm here to pick up only those two, not Todd. I don't want Todd. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. He's yucky. So Todd's like at school, he hears that his mom has died, but that they don't want to take him home. Oh, he is. They only want his siblings. Their mom, like they're yes, all their Yes. That mom. is their okay. mom. Uh, so <laughs> what does that do to a little kid? And then after that. He was often alone mm-hmm. because his siblings are gone. Mm-hmm. So he went to like, you know, having siblings and a family and everything to all of a sudden they're gone and you're just it's like home alone. Child now. And then he said that his stepdad was hostile on a good day. Oh. So lovely. I mean, I don't know what the, the kid's mom situation is, but if he's hostile on a good day, maybe they're better off with their mom. Yeah, but if she's, like, kidnapped, I don't know. It's all fucked. It's all fucked. They're probably both fucked. So Todd was a difficult child prone to anger and aggression. Mm-hmm. When he was nine, he was sent to a state mental health facility oh. for anger management. At nine, jeez. Yeah, when the family was living in Georgia. Okay. He was sent for being aggressive to other children. Yikes. And he stayed for three and a half months in the program. Wow, like out like what he was like in by himself yeah as a nine-year-old yes. in a program for three months yeah because he's really aggressive with other children fuck but this is after i think this is after his siblings had been kidnapped and he, his dad is like a real asshole and so he had a lot of issues in school and then he like kept going from school to school um and when he was like the new kid he'd be bullied a lot mm. and he spent a lot of time on his grandparents farm his grandfather was abusive Mm -hmm. and his mom would just like when she didn't want him around she would send him to the farm okay so super dysfunctional so he pretty much is just like 
unwanted is how he's thinking. Yes. Totally abandoned, uh. unwanted, just like inconvenient all the time. Mm-hmm. When the family moved to South Carolina, Todd joined the Boy Scouts, <laughs> but he was kicked out for being disruptive. Uh-huh. By this point, Todd was 12 and he wanted to go live with his bio dad in Arizona. His mom finally let him go uh, because she, like, bought him a bedroom set to try and, like, make him happy, and he said it was too girly, and he smashed it. And she was like, get the fuck out. Like, fine. Go see with, go see with your dad. I'm done. I don't know what kind of young adolescent boy is going to get excited a over a bedroom set. set. I know. I don't know. That's Clearly, the weirdest shit. They don't know how to, like... Uh, connect with their child. I'm like, oh, look, we bought you some thimbles to, some collectible thimbles. It's like, what the so, fuck am I going to do with that? Yeah, so Todd hadn't seen his dad since he was two years old. Mm-hmm. And this is like eight years later. So he doesn't even know his dad, but he like really wanted to, I mean, his well, he's mom. He's been like daydreaming about it forever. Yeah, yeah. Because his mom's been sending him off to his abusive grandparents' house. His stepdad sucks. His mom sucks. He's just like, I need to leave. Mm-hmm. My dad's probably like way better. Yeah. So his father was aggressive, violent, and spent his time chasing women and pursuing success. Ah. He owned Billy's famous ribs <laughs> and was never home. So Todd told the filmmaker Maria that his first gun crime happened when he was 14. Mm. He said that it was in Arizona. His friend was shot as a part of a gang initiation. So he went to the guy's park car in a parking lot one night and emptied a gun into the car. Wow. At how old? 14. (laughs) Yikes. Then he ran away and threw the gun into a dumpster. Okay. In 1986, when Todd was 15, he was left home alone for a week. His father was supposed to come home that night, and he knew when his dad came home, he was going to get beat the fuck up because he had been in his dad's liquor cabinet. Uh Uh-oh. So he is, like, stressed. He got his father's 22 caliber handgun and went to his 14-year-old neighbor's house. She was babysitting her brother and sister when Todd showed up. He forced her to walk back to his house where he put duct tape over her mouth, tied her hands behind her back, and raped her. Excuse me? He wanted her to be his girlfriend. Ah, yep. That's that's the old and way to do it. You he got... had tried several times to get her to come over to his house, well, but she that's, refused. That's how cavemen, you know, you just like go smack them over the head and drag them to your cave. Basically. Yeah. So since she wouldn't come to his house willingly, he forced her to come to his house. And he threatened to kill her siblings if she told anyone what had happened. And so she's sitting there, like, traumatized. Mm -hmm. And he's pacing the floor with a gun, trying to figure out what to do next. Like, Mm. if he should kill her or if he should let her live. And he said that he had felt really bad about what he did. But he thought about killing her because he didn't want to get into trouble. Yeah, it had gone too far. Then she came up with a story. She was like, I will tell everyone that your dog got lost. (laughs) And I went to look. And help find the dog. Mm-hmm. So that's why I left home. Okay. Because we're like looking for your dog. Uh-huh. But before she made it home, her five-year-old brother noticed that she wasn't there. And he had just learned about 911. Ah, so he put his new skills to, to work. And he called 911. So by the time the neighbor made it home, the police and her parents were waiting for her. And she really tried to stick with the dog story, but she crumbled and told them, like, what really happened. Yeah. she's traumatized and terrified. Yeah. So the police went to go get Todd. 
And they were like, what the fuck happened, dude? Why, why did you do it? And he was like, I don't, I don't know. I was scared my dad was going to beat me for the liquor. He said, I just wanted to talk to her and convince her to be my girlfriend, but things got out of hand. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, no one has been connecting with him in an appropriate way. He doesn't know how to connect with other kids either. Yeah, I guess. But where is that coming from? Like, that's a learned thing. What? kidnapping duct taping tying up well raping. he already has trouble with like uh aggression and his dad is aggressive his stepdad's aggressive like everyone's fucking aggressive but where did he learn well boy scouts is that where you learn to tie I up people? i don't know so todd was charged with kidnapping sexual assault and committing a dangerous crime against a child he took a plea deal but he was charged as an adult oh wow so he's 15 years old at this point. Yeah. Charge as an adult. The deal was that he'd plead guilty to kidnapping and the other charges would be dropped. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and he had to register as a sex offender. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because it was like an aggressive... It wasn't like, you know, he was 17 and she was like 14 and it was like, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was like aggressive. He forced her out with a gun, tied her up, Brought yes. her in the house. I understand that, but his thinking of like, it's very childish thinking to be like, well, if I kill her, I will get, I have to kill her so I don't get in trouble. I mean, how many other people do that though? I know, but I just feel like. I don't think, I, I don't think, think he did a very adult thing. I don't think he should have been charged as an adult. I don't think that children should ever be charged as adults. Yeah. I mean. I just I, don't. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's bad most of the time, but this guy, I don't know. He is a 15-year-old kid going to an adult prison. He's not going to yeah, get well, help Well, if you do there. adult crimes, you do adult I times. I don't think so. <laughs> You're a kid. I don't think so. I think he should have gone to a, a juvenile detention center. A kid who brutally center. raped someone after, like, making... come. Yeah, he I has a know. child's brain, though. He's a child. Yeah, but he's making adult decisions. He's not going to get help there. It does. You can't make adult decisions as a child. I don't know. Your brain is not fully formed. You can't think, like, long-term consequences. He was just, like, he, like, made a snap decision, and it was, like, a fucking horrible decision for sure, but he's, like, a child. He's a child. Mm. He's a child. So while in prison, he got his bachelor's degree in computer science. He served 14 years of his 15-year sentence and was released in August 2001. Mm. He moved to the Spartanburg area near his mom. He worked on improving his life, and he had girlfriends and a job as a graphic designer, and everything was looking up for Todd. He was, like, he made it a point to make sure that, like, women felt safe around him. He, like, never, he, like, knew that he fucked up really badly, so he never wanted to make them feel uncomfortable. He, like, really worked on his aggression and his, like, anger management. And he's on the sex offender registry, so all they had to do was look him up and... Well, that's the problem. So every time he lived anywhere... Because he was registered as a sex offender, he would get harassed and sent hate mail and people would try and kick him out when he's, like, really trying hard to improve his life. He's like, I know I fucked up when I was, like, 15. I'm really just trying to, like, get on the right track here. So his job as a graphic designer lasted until November 2003, which is when the Superbike murders happened. Mm. He said that in 2003, he bought a Suzuki GSX-R750 for $9,000 from Superbike Motorsports. 
He didn't really know how to write it and he couldn't get the hang of it. So he went back to the store to see if he could exchange it for something smaller and easier to ride. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a powerful bike. He said that the people working there were kind of rude and he thought that they were like making fun of him for not being able to like ride that bike. Hmm. Then uh, three days later, the bike was stolen. <laughs> So he assumed that oh, the people from fuck. the store had taken it back. Yeah. And when he called the police to report it stolen, they also made fun of him. <laughs> Fucked up. So he kept going back to Superbike to try out different motorcycles, but it bothered him that the owner and manager like talked trash to each other, I guess. Mm. He was like, that's not appropriate to do in a place of business. Uh, so... So what is appropriate is murder. So he went back on November 6th with a Beretta 92FS, which uh, um, he went over to the black Kawasaki and pretended to be interested until all the customers had left. Then he told them that he'd buy it. So the mechanic took it back into the like mechanic mm-hmm. shop to get it ready. Then Todd put on gloves and walked into the shop and shot the mechanic twice and killed everyone. Then he left in his car, took the gun apart, and put the pieces in kitty litter and dropped them in trash cans around town. Hmm. He then re-enrolled in school and eventually got his BS in business administration and marketing in 2007. Todd started his real estate business from his home during that time, and he had his real estate and brokerage license, uh, broker license, and he had employees. His employees said that he was a really good boss. He worked hard for his clients, and the builders thought he was very personable, like everything was going well again. Hmm. He was on the right track. He was doing really well for himself. By the end of 2015, after the disappearance of Megan and Johnny Coxie, Todd's employee noticed that he had become quite narcissistic and belligerent. So it changed. He was like a really great boss, and then all of a sudden he's like out of his mind. There were complaints filed against him, and he began gaining weight. When he was interrogated, he went into great detail about Megan. He said that he initially got the storage container to store stuff until the garage was built. After he killed Johnny, he had to figure out what to do with her. He tried to calm her down. He handcuffed her and put her in the shipping container. Then he buried Johnny and brought Megan some food. Hmm. He tried to get to know her as best as he could so that he could make a plan. He had to figure out what to do with her. Get to know her. According to Todd, she told him that she had drug issues and that she had bipolar disorder. Okay. He kept her for five or six days. So he's saving her. Well, he's trying to... He doesn't know what to do with her. So he has her for five to six days, but Megan did not make a good prisoner. He had (laughs) bought her... He bought her cigarettes, and she kept trying to burn her way out of the metal container. This was a major problem because along with Megan in the container was also a bunch of guns and 100,000 rounds of ammo. He was like, you are going to blow this thing up. You need to stop trying to light fires in here. Then Todd came up with a plan. He offered to take Megan to Tennessee and give her $4,000 to start a new life. Mm-mm. apparently Megan was super stoked about this plan. She was like, fuck yeah, yes. I'm going to get out Let's of this go. container. So the plan lasted until, so Todd tells two different stories of why the plan didn't go through. One was that the weather got really bad 
and he was going to have to drive her all the way to Nashville, which was super far. He was like, I'm not just going to leave her on the border. I got to get her like into Uh Nashville because that's like farther away from me. And he was like, I'm going to have to find an excuse to be away from work for that long. And I'm going to have to tell my girlfriend like why I'm gone for so long. And then the other excuse that he gave was that Megan set another fire Mm. and that was the last straw. He was like, you're going to fucking blow shit up. Like you need to leave. (sighs) So she was having some kind of like mental health episode. So he walked her out of the container and shot her. He later said, I do wish I could have found a better way to deal with Megan. But having a captive is extremely stressful, and I have no idea how anyone can be turned on by that logistical nightmare, emotional mess. You poor, poor victim. Wow. He also said that at some point he had killed two thugs that tried to accost him in the parking lot of an apartment complex that he had lived in. Thugs. He said Mm -hmm. that the two men approached him, one with a knife and Mm -hmm. one with a hammer. The one with the knife lunged at him, so Todd bent down, like, pretending to... Tie his shoe. Tie his shoe. (laughs) He grabbed his own knife that he... Like, knives that he... Boot knife? Yeah. Uh, And he slashed the first guy in the arm to make him drop the knife, and then he cut his leg and stabbed him in the chest. Then the guy with the hammer tried to flee, so Todd grabbed him and stabbed him in the neck. What the fuck? Then he wrapped up the bodies, put them in his car... what? And then buried them. Okay. Okay. Those bodies have never been found. Yeah, that sounds like a, a outright lie. Uh, so that's the tale of Todd Cole. Piece of shit. Uh, the tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. No, tossed salad. I don't. He's just so reactive. Tossed and salad. So it, so with him, it's like. Okay, so the guy, um, the profiler, they weren't allowed to go in and talk to him like they normally would to, like, interview people because he was, like, because he was, like, a serious offender and the prison mm-hmm. he was in, they're, like, we're not letting him talk to anyone. So what the guy, what he did is he, like, kind of, like, asked some questions and found that, like, Todd was very truthful about, like, his his experiences and like what he did he was like very upfront about it and so then the profiler was like okay well if i send in my worksheet that i usually fill out after interviewing people will you fill it out and then he was like i will only fill it out if you tell me like why i do the things that i do i want to understand like what's wrong with me so i will fill out this information so he was like very upfront and like very Mm. honest when he filled out like all the information and then the profiler said like he was like, there, I think there are like three types of rapists. Like two types cannot be like rehabilitated. But the type that Todd was, he felt like if he had gone to a juvenile detention center, if he had gotten like psychological help, then he would not have reoffended that way but like he said like when he was like doing his real estate thing and everything was going really well and like fine one of the rival real estate agents found out that he was on the sex offender registry and then she started sending everyone like do not work with this man and like stealing his clients so then he had to like I mean I'm not saying like no one should be on the registry for sure like we need to know like who's an offender and all that like I agree with that and at the same time, once you're on that registry, 
it's very hard to live. Well, yeah. I mean, it definitely there needs to be stricter rules for who gets on there because people that are like caught urinating yeah. are on there and that's fucked up. And that's going to fuck up your leg. Like you cannot but get back on But at the track. same time, I don't know. I wouldn't want my real estate agent to be a rapist. He's showing people inside houses that are like empty. Well, the, so there are like different ways to look at it. First of all, the... 14-year-old girl that he raped, like, it wrecked her life. Yes, obviously. of course. That's terrifying and horrible. So, yeah, for sure, he deserved to go to prison. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, okay, is prison to rehabilitate you or is no. prison just a place to hold you until we're like, okay, now we'll let you out again Well, the because you served your arbitrary amount yeah, of time. The American prison system is not about rehabilitation. Of Maybe course. it should be. Um, it should. It should be for sure. Not that everyone can be rehabilitated, no, but, but if you, you can should be, be, yeah, it should like, be. Give you the but chance. The, at the same time, sorry if you're a rapist. I think that everyone should know that you're a rapist because you're a piece of shit. Yes, and I don't know. He was like a child. He's fifteen. That's old enough to know not, not to rape. But that's old enough to know not to rape. That's old enough to know to keep your hands to yourself. Well, it should be. You learn that in preschool. Keep your hands to yourself. Well, not anymore. Now you're learning math and how to read. <laughs> well, you're learning advanced calculus in preschool. Yeah, now. you're not learning how to interact with other children. Uh, anyway, that's like, I, what the fuck? <laughs> what is? What I a dude. Hate him. Yeah. He's yucky all all around. Yeah, super crazy. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know because like he's able to keep it together and like get his bachelor's degree. Is. Like when he's in when he's in prison, he's like doing school and he's like getting degrees. His and whole he's thing, like, like I feel like his whole thing is like he murders people that he thinks get in the way. Well, he thinks they deserve it. Like he thinks that they're they're like a threat to him. Either they're gonna rob him, or he hates drugs and he hates drug dealers. Yeah. So they're either gonna rob him or they're like bad people anyway. So his whole thing is like... So he might be a little scrambled? I think he might be a little scrambled. Hmm. Because honestly, like, raised with parents like his, and grandparents like his, and then also raised in a prison, how are you going to know? How are you going to know how to function in society? But then he kind of did, because then he made it a point to, like, you know, he had, like, relationships. He had girlfriends. He had, like, a mistress and a well, girlfriend and, at the like, same time. Basically, right after he raped that girl, he was like, I know it was wrong. Like, he knew it was wrong. When he was 15? Yeah, when he was like... Yeah, he, like, panicked. Oh, yeah, like, whoops, I should. I just wanted you to be my girlfriend. And yeah. it's like, so you know right from wrong. You just went on well, impulse. Well, he felt, like, yeah, he felt bad about it. He has, like, impulse control issues, yeah, for obviously. sure. Obviously, He thinks everyone's out to get him, and he's going to eliminate everyone that's out to get him well and like they they talked to charles's mom and she was like he would never rob anyone like the, he did not overhear him talk about robbing i'm sure someone. none of them were gonna like, rob he would him. never plus i'm sure he didn't even have that much nice stuff he did he had like two properties he had like yeah but you can, have, you can have properties doesn't mean you have like he did stuff he did stealing. though i think he did hmm. he was rich he was rich as fuck so he could have been like a a mark to be robbed but 
But then it's like, if you're afraid of that, why invite people to your home to like do work? Like invite them to your real estate office like he was. Well, I for think the it's one the thing woman. where like he started acting all narcissistic and belligerent. Like he pro- paranoia probably goes along with that. So he was like, everything's fine, like it's all good. But then as soon as he feels threatened because he thought that he overheard something, like who knows what's going on in his mind? Well, I hate him. Yeah, for sure. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. So I think I think he might be a little. Yeah. He's got a hard boiled egg on that salad. Ugh. Yeah, I guess. I don't like to give him credit. <laughs> but I guess. I don't know. I don't know. That's bad. But go read that. Go read the book, y'all. I got one more story that's like sort of from there too. But oh, it's so such... don't read it yet. Or go. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's a really good book. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely like a piece of shit dude for sure. Yeah. Also, children should not be tried as adults. Like, send them to juvenile court, and then once they turn, like once they are adults, then Open maybe the, like yeah. have them, them see over. A, a judge or like you know redetermine right. sentencing or whatever. But then it's like 18 is such an arbitrary like adult age when your brain's not done forming until you're 25. Like, shouldn't that be the age of adulthood? Like 25? Well, then you got to have like, uh, then you can't enlist in the army until you're 25, which well, is probably a good idea. Yeah. That should be the way it is. And then you can't drink until you're 25 and you can't smoke cigarettes until you're 25. Well, when you're 25, you're like definitely more able to make long-term decisions. Yeah. I mean, thinking about myself, up until the age of 25 like oh i was super irresponsible of course that's your 20s are your times of just being irresponsible and trying things and being an idiot but it's like i don't know i mean yeah i feel like after 25 like i feel like there was kind of a shift Mm -hmm. so i don't think we should be considered like adults until our brains are done forming i agree i agree Also, you can't buy cigarettes until you're 21 now. Where? In California? I thought in... I thought everywhere. No? I don't know. I haven't smoked cigarettes in a long time. I mean, it's not that big of a jump from 21 to 25, right? Right. I don't... I mean, it's... It is kind of a jump. You do change. Between the time you're 20 to 25, there is a lot of change. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of change. I mean... For people who are like, you know, you wait till you're 21 to like start drinking or whatever and it's like so exciting. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you shouldn't be able to drive until you're like at least 18, not 16. That's like, wow. Mm. Yeah, that's terrifying. Like 15 year olds are driving because they got their permits or whatever. I know, that's so young. That's so young. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime and Sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Do you want to do some Crime and Sakes? Yes. <laughs> this one is from whdh.com. A man is facing an array of criminal charges after he was arrested three times in the same day. An array. Including twice by the same trooper, officials say. Robert Reddick, 
29, of Marlborough, New York, was arrested three times on March 7th. Redick was driving a Jeep Cherokee when he was first arrested just before 8 a.m. After, er, after a trooper stopped him for a vehicle and traffic law violation, learning he was driving with a suspended license, and found him in possession of cocaine. Oops. A little over six hours later, Radek was driving a Honda Civic when he was again stopped for a vehicle and traffic law violation. The trooper immediately recognized Radek from earlier and found him to be in possession of heroin and cocaine. Oh, no. The third, on, ar- the third arrest happened around 5.45 p.m. when a different trooper stopped Radek's Cherokee after observing multiple vehicle and traffic law violations. Oh. While speaking to Radek, the trooper is said to have determined that he was impaired by drugs. All three arrests All three arrests took place in the city of Newburgh. Newburgh. Radek is due to appear in court in late April. Oh man. Get off the road, buddy. <laughs> Jesus, get yourself a scooter or something. What the hell? Yeah, if you get pulled over uh, maybe it takes some time off the road. <laughs> uh, yeah. This one is from USA Today. Pensacola, Florida. An assistant principal at a Florida elementary school and her teenage daughter have been accused of using the mother's privileged access to the school district's internal system to cast fraudulent votes in favor of the daughter winning homecoming queen. Shut up. This is... <laughs> so insane it's like so dramatic homecoming oh, what was who that? fucking cares drop dead gorgeous that's what I thought yes. of. like who fucking cares if anyone has not seen drop dead gorgeous check that out for some laughs i hope it's still funny i remember it being funny oh i watched it somewhat recently and it held up laura rose carroll 50 of pensacola and her 17 year old daughter were arrested monday according to a news oh, release from the florida department of law enforcement the teen is being held at a Scambia Regional Juvenile Detention Center. Um, final determination of whether she will be tried as an adult will rest with prosecutors. A report for re- what? What are you tried with? Let's see if they say. Oh, because they broke into the. A report released in twenty fourteen by Human Rights Watch found Florida tra- found Florida transferred more children out of the juvenile system and into adult court than any other see, system. No, or any uh-uh. other state. I don't agree with that. FDLE agents learned that Carol and her daughter used FOCUS, the district's student information system, to cast fraudulent votes for her daughter to win homecoming queen at Tate High School. Spokeswoman Gretel Plessinger told the Pensacola News Journal, "Um, the mother is also accused of allowing her daughter to use her access to FOCUS to access hundreds of students' personal files, including their test scores. Uh Nine students and one teacher provided written statements to authorities that detailed how the daughter had spoken about accessing (gasps) accessing her mother's focus account for almost four years, according to the arrest warrant. What the fuck? The FDLE special agents launched an investigation after the school district in October 2020 flagged hundreds of votes for Tate High School's homecoming court as fraudulent. God, Agents discovered that 117 of the fraudulent votes originated from the same IP address. Agents? This is like... Agents, yes. Oh my god. Within a short period of time. And yeah, they tied the IP address to Carol and her daughter's computer usage. Agents discovered Carol had district level access to the school's board 
school board's focus program. Both You're going to risk your whole career. You got to get that homecoming queen. To get your daughter a homecoming queen. And then she can be the queen queen. And then what? Then she goes to college and no one gives a fuck. Well, I'm sure they're going to, I'm sure she was going to get in college illegally too. Mm. Going to make copies of those queens. They're going to vote. They're going to vote her into college. They're going to vote her into college. Yep. And she'll have all the queens to the doors. So fucking dumb. Both Carol and her daughter were charged with three third-degree felonies. What? Committing offenses against users of computers and electronic devices, unlawful use of two-way communication device, and what? criminal use of personally identifiable information. What is unlawful use of a two-way communication device? You know, like, probably the program that they were using. Or the computer. I don't know. Um, they were also charged with conspiracy to commit the offenses, a first-degree misdemeanor. Whoa. Escambia County District School District Superintendent Tim Smith told the Pensacola News Journal on Monday that Carol has been suspended from her job at Bellevue Elementary. He declined to comment further on the matter. The daughter has been expelled from Tate High School. Whoa. According to FDLE, she was taken into custody and held at Escambia Regional Juvenile Detention Center. What? <laughs> That's so fucking dumb. How bad do you want to be homecoming queen? I just like can't even imagine <laughs> rigging something so stupid. And so like traceable. And trivial. It's and like trivial. who gives a yeah. fuck? I guess in Florida it's important You're to gonna be the lose queen. your education and your mom's gonna lose her career mm-hmm. because you wanna be homecoming queen. Or maybe the mom wanted and to be homecoming. And you might get queen. tried as a fucking adult. Who knows who for wanted three it more? Felonies. It could be that she was one of the felonies. Yeah. yeah, but if she's been accessing it for four yeah. years, I just feel like she might be kind of a bitch. Well, yeah, they're both bitches. Bitches. Wow. Who gives a fuck? Nobody. And uh, you know what? High school does not matter after you graduate. Oh, my God. You'll realize how trivial it all is. And Especially how... if you lose your high school yeah. diploma because yeah. you wanted to be a homecoming. queen. No. Queen dripping in diamonds. Fuck. I will be the key queen, but I'm not going to cheat to get it. Queen queen. No, I'm not on board with that. I'm going to press it until you do. That's so fucking awful. Mm-hmm. Once again, I don't agree with her being tried as an adult, though. I don't think she's as culpable as her mother. No, I definitely, I would want the rapist to be tried as an adult before uh, <laughs> a I don't know, I feel like this is a more stealer. offensive offense. This is riskier behavior. Well, it rea- I mean, it affects more people, I guess, but... <laughs> yeah, think of all the hopefuls. All, all those poor all those, girls that are uh, not going to be queens. Hopefuls. Shame, really. Never stood a chance. Never. No. It's like that college scandal thing. Exactly. It's like, you have all the means. But it's means. like, now, now it's all being tracked online and stuff, but this stuff is not new. How many people are pay- no, have agreed. been paying for their kids to get into school Well, the thing about the that was apparently, like, yeah, you can donate, like, a wing or yeah. a building or whatever, but that doesn't, that doesn't ensure your kid's going to go into school. No. This way was, like, a sure yeah. way for yeah. cheaper, but... It's just like the people with all the means and like all, you know, like, like you think you're not going to get caught and you're doing it all well, online. Well, she clearly didn't. She was like bragging to people. Yeah. yeah. Or like, I don't know, telling them their test scores or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Wow. But that's fun. Well, on that note, if you want to be your own homecoming queen, oh, pamper yeah. yourself with Humblebee Herbal Products. 
They're all natural, they're good for you and the environment. Be your own king or queen. Get yourself some queen nice... Queen bee, king bee. Queen bee, king bee. Some nice products from Humble Bee Herbal. You will love it. Guaranteed. Check them out at humblebeeherbal.com. Um, use code CRIMINY20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's humblebeeherbal.com. Become your own high school queen. Mm. I don't know if we should be guaranteeing anything. I do. Oh. I think okay. it's good. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, thanks for tuning in again, and we will speak at you next week. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to the Instagram. Instagram at Crimony Podcast. Matt's been working really hard at updating it, so check it out. Yes. Um, Crimony Podcast. Look at what these bitches look like. Check out the bitches and what they look like. Uh, email us things at crimeanypodcast at gmail.com. And go read the book and that article. Read the articles. Check it out for yourself. Don't take our word for it because we're just a bunch of mumble mouths. That's right. Right. Goodbye. Goodbye. He approached it from behind. I'm the handphone man. Yeah, that's not weird at all. (laughs)